Hey everyone, welcome to the show. This week's episode is brought to you by Daisy May Hat Co., the custom hat company based in Nashville, Tennessee. They make custom one-of-a-kind hats from wide-brimmed fedoras to cowboy hats. All of their hats are 100% beaver felt, and it's the highest quality hat you can get. They also have the coolest shirts ever. You can use the code BRASS at checkout for 15% off your entire order. Go and check out daisymayhats.com. Embrace the fever. Live the dream. Brought to you by Combat Flip Flops. Bad for running and even worse for fighting. Combat Flip Flops are your ticket to the unarmed forces by providing you with military-inspired quality footwear for men and women. To help support the podcast and in support of women in developing countries, head over to combatflipflops.com and become a part of their unarmed forces today. Be sure to use the code UNITY at checkout and get 25% off. And brought to you by GFDA. Good fucking design advice. The voice in your head and the foot up your ass. GFDA makes prints, drinkware, and apparel for people who want to do their fucking best. Go and use the code UNITY and get 10% off now on anything on their site, including our collaborative product, Fucking Help Somebody. Leo Jenkins is on the show. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm really excited about it. Can you tell? I've been trying to get you. But then you disappear. I, I have a, I have that quality. I have that quality in me. <laughs> the ghosting quality. Is it, is it the ranger in you that has the ghosting quality, or is that just a natural quality that you've always had? I have been known to hide in bushes. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Typically, there's alcohol involved with those decisions, but no. Um, yeah, I, I, I find value in disconnecting, being kind of um, entirely uh, with my family um, for extended periods of time. So as we talked about before, I, I do have a, a, a tendency occasionally to just disconnect everything and disconnect myself from everything. So um, I find great value in that, the independence of, of the moment and, and being who you are. That's really rare. Dear God, is that ever rare to come out of someone's mouth where they're like, I disconnected social media because I messaged you. I was super concerned because I was doing a post about you and I was thinking to myself, I'm going to tag Leo and let people know he's coming on because they've been asking for you for so long. And then I went to tag you and you were gone. And of course, me being me, the first thought was he blocked me. I harassed him too much. He finally caved and was like, no, I can't. This woman cannot message me one more time, but no, that wasn't the case. So I feel a little bit better about myself this morning. Uh, in my long history with social media, I think, I, I don't know. I think one time I blocked someone, I think once in, yeah, well, I think one time. Do it all the time. Um, I like, I like, I like, I, you know, I, I really appreciate when someone has a different opinion than I do. And mm -hmm. so normally if, if like there's some kind of disagreement or conflict or someone stating something um, that is adjacent to my own current beliefs, I tend to stalk them a little bit more in, the, in, in that sense. Like I'll go and I'll look at other things that they've posted and written and, well, why do you think that way? Um, I want to know. I'm curious. Um, and I don't think that it does uh, the individual very much good to, um, to, to uh, insulate themselves, uh, creating their own echo chambers. Um, I think that that does a, a disservice to the psyche and to the to your viewpoints and and everything. So it's very very rare. Uh, I mean, I, again, one time I think in uh, fifteen years of I, like I was like old school MySpace uh, guy, yes. you know, uh, been on social media for a long time, and uh, and uh, yeah, I, I I love I love when I, I like I'm not getting along with people. It's a that's a it's a great opportunity for growth. 
I love that you word it that way because that's something that I try to, we try to do on the show. And I've, I've said several times to other individuals, you know, I love nothing more than sitting across the table than with someone that has a different opinion than me. And not, I'm not saying like a Holocaust didn't happen. I'm talking about like somebody who just differs in opinion from day to day, who differs in opinion of thought process, of political beliefs, of, of all different. I think there's nothing but value in having those hard conversations. And that's why I think my show is banned up some places. <laughs> you should be able <laughs> to just talk, just talk with no malice, but Instagram's a different animal. I mean, there's definitely, uh, I've had to block a couple people only for, for, you know, strict, like violence, like you know, it's saying violent things towards you saying, I'm going to do violent things towards you. So there's, there's definitely a line there for me, but I agree with you hundred percent. There's nothing like following someone that you maybe don't agree with and then stalking out their life and going, trying to understand a little bit of why they think the way they think and how they've developed that thought process. And very often it's because again, they're in echo chambers and that's a great observation on your part is echo chambers. That's what social media is. It's an echo chamber. It's uh, this constant bombardment of, of similar thought and discussion that only ever solidifies someone's beliefs, whether it's negative or positive. And most of the time the individual doesn't even realize that it's damaging or negative or, you know, just self-deprecating or if, if you will, but, but there is definite value in that. And, and I'm so, I'm so glad that you, um, you see that I, I wanted to have you on the show. Um, number one, I think you're a brilliant writer. I think that your words articulate my feelings very, very well. And for somebody that struggles with, you know, different vocabulary, sometimes I often just make my own words. I think that somebody who truly understands language the way you do is, is to be supported and talked about and talked with because it's very rare that people take the time to write the way that you write now. You're very, you're tapped into something emotionally that most people cannot get and articulate on paper. And so this is where I really wanted to have a conversation with you. Thank you so much. That's, um, uh, that's, a, that's a fantastic compliment. I, thank you. Yeah, um, you're, so, you're so welcome. I, um, I'm probably not as good of a speaker as I am a writer, um, but, um, you know, uh, I we do have our think, strengths. Yeah, we have our strengths. Um, I've long um, believed that, and I, I do consider writing to be an art. Uh, you know, it is um, specifically poetry um, is equal parts literature and art. And um, I've long believed that um, good art gives cause to think, right? Um, and great art gives cause to feel. Um, where transcendent art gives cause for both. Uh, so it is, Ooh. it is this thing that I strive for and I don't always land on it, but I aim for it um, to write in a way that uh, gives the reader an opportunity to both think and feel. Uh, and again, I don't always get it, but um, it is very much my goal. So. And it, and it, it shows. I mean, I was I was discussing with you briefly before uh, we started recording here that um, you know I've read your your book of poetry uh, with a pen. I think it is. Did I? Yeah. Sorry. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. With a pen was the first one, and then Worn Pieces was the second, uh, the, the follow up to that. And there will be more, but yeah, those were the first two. Yeah, and I was introduced through Nick Betts and um, Nikki, who runs uh, Brass and Unity Social, and I was. 
I was just at their house and they had your book just lying around. And there's something about war poetry. There's something about somebody else who has seen similar things that, but that can articulate how I feel and put words to it. Because I think so many, so many veterans in particular really do struggle with our, you know, really just vocalizing what they're going through and finding a, a way to get it off their chest. I mean, I, I just spoke with the, the guys, Keith and Tyler from Dead Reckoning uh, this week. And um, we had this similar conversation about this where it's people struggle to put words on paper and, and it's not because they're inept or don't have the ability. It's that sometimes our emotions and our thoughts are so complex and they're so deep and damaging and dark that if someone were to put it on paper, you run into the things of like, judgment. You run into that. What if somebody thinks I'm an angry, violent individual? What if somebody thinks I'm this warmongering, you know, hateful person? And that's never the case almost always when somebody's able to put it on paper, but it is a struggle for individuals, but you seem to have, you seem to have really taken that. And, um, coming from an army ranger, I can't say that I expected you to be this brilliant literary mind. I mean, rangers are made for one thing and to see the artistic side of you is pretty fantastic. Well, I think that the people who have the greatest capacity um, for um, displaying beauty are often the ones who have um, the deepest well of darkness in their experiences, right? Um, I'll destroy it, but uh, Carl Jung, um, you know, said something along the lines of, you know, no branches can reach to heaven if their roots uh, do not touch hell. Um, so I think mm. that, you know, when you have when you have people who have experienced a great deal, um, I think one of the great advantages of war, if there is any, um, is it, it really provides this uh, opportunity for overcoming. Um, and you, know, you have these very intense experiences comparative to the rest of society, and have to, but you have an opportunity to do something that try to, to attempt to overcome that and, and and through those those very difficult dark um experiences that aren't entirely difficult and dark right that's the interesting uh thing about them is that they're intertwined often with our deepest bonding moments our greatest loves um you know that we have friendships for life that go on there these uh, jokes that resonate uh through the decades um so we don't want to throw everything away in that experience um you know in our oftentimes in our late teens early 20s of going to war um that there is so much to be brought forth that is beautiful from those dark experiences if only we take to the work um if we attempt it um i would say right now as far as um you know in the genre of war poetry um you know we like to make jokes that marines are crayon eaters um you know th those kind of things right but i think some of the truly some of the front runners in the genre of war poetry coming out of the GWAT, they're Marines. Um, there's three or four of them that come to mind that um, I read their work and I am mesmerized by it. Um, so, um, you know, we can, we can wear whatever hat we choose um, and we can take from those, those, that deep well of difficult experiences and we can truly uh, grow something profoundly beautiful that can touch the heavens with. Um, that's our capacity. I think all of us have that. It's just, are you willing to, are you, are you willing to play in the fertilizer for long enough um, to, to get that tree to grow? 
Did you always want to be a writer? No, no, it was quite an accident. Um, I still don't know if I'm a writer yet. I'm working on it. I, I, uh, um, I call, you know, when people say, you know, ask me what I do, I say, I'm an aspiring writer. I'm still trying. I'm still aspiring to, um, to do something significant. Um, but no, it came about quite, um, I was, I was kind of, I was coming out of a very difficult relationship and, um, I just, I had all these, this like internal dialogue as most many people do. And I just, um, one day I actually started a blog. Um, that had such a long, ridiculously long uh, title to it. Nobody would ever find it. So it was kind of like a journal, but it was simultaneously something I was sharing with the world, but I had no fear or apprehension that anyone was going to ever look at it. So it was kind of this in between. And I started getting my thoughts out about um, the end of this relationship that I was in. And that immediately went into experiences in war. And I started writing down some um, things uh, at missions that I was on in Iraq and um, things that later became the content, much of the content matter for my first book, Lest We Forget. Um, but um, from that, I'd, I'd been doing that on my own for about a year. And this was probably four or five, six years removed from the military. This wasn't, this wasn't really like a, I'm going to do this as a living um, kind of a thing. And I had a friend ask me if I could write an article for uh, a website that was really popular at the time. And I already had it written. I was like, oh, here, you can take this uh, mission that I wrote about in Iraq and, um, and put it up. And the response was so overwhelmingly positive. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of people commenting, saying like, I would read books upon books of this. And I had no idea. It was like this, I'm like, okay, well, I have plenty more of that. Um, <laughs> and I, uh, I could do that. Um, and I went to uh, Ranger Rendezvous um, a few months later, and it's just a big meetup of all the generations of Rangers. It's a really cool reunion. And the story started coming out. I think I was six about six years removed from the army at that time. And all the, I, I just realized, um, I was like, I don't want these stories to just fade into the, you know, mist of our existence. Um, I want them to, to exist in some physical form um, for our children and eventual grandchildren to be able to, to hold. And so that we could point at it and say, this was what we did. Let's not forget this. Um, this is, this is, you know, and so I, um, I, again, I wasn't a writer. Um, I did the best I could to tell a story about um, my experiences as a medic in Iraq and Afghanistan and special operations unit and um, the training for that and, and the, um, you know, the experience of going to war as a young person and, and um, the camaraderie and, and all of that, the, the, the full spectrum of the experience that I could lay forth with my limited capacity as an author at the time. Um, and uh, I put it out. And it was one of those things where I figured maybe the people who were in my unit, like who were at third Ranger battalion, Charlie company would appreciate. And maybe a couple of them would buy it. I was thinking maybe a couple dozen people would be interested in it. And it just, it went, um, you know, I was, I was fortunate enough to have some great friends who um, were, you know, telling people on their popular, you know, YouTube channels, friends like Matt Best was like, go buy my friend Leo's book and like holding it up. And, um, you know, I got the Matt best effect out of it. Right. And oh, so like, lucky uh, duck. you know, like kind of thing, this was like when he was, you know, it was like, he used my gym actually that I owned at the time. Cause I, again, I wasn't a writer. I was, I was an athlete. I was a coach and I own a gym owner uh, when I wrote my first book. And 
he was using my gym for one of his uh, videos, how to work out like an operator um, early, <laughs> early, like um, Matt Best content. Um, and uh, so stuff like that. I had a couple of other friends who were really enthusiastic about like, oh my gosh, my friend wrote a book. Like, and there wasn't a lot of that yet. Um, it was fairly early. I wasn't like the first one or anything, but um it was early enough to where people were excited about that. And mm -hmm. they were really like, Hey, check this out. You know, a ranger wrote a book. Um, a ranger and, wrote a book. Yeah. Um, and so it, it was popular and that really inspired me. I, I then, um, as soon as that very first month, um, it's like, I was like, there's like thousands of people are mine in this thing. Like what's happening, what's happening. I realized I had this moment uh, that the, you know, the universe is like providing me this opportunity to leap. And so I sold everything that I owned. I sold my gym. I sold my truck. I sold everything. I sold everything that wouldn't fit into a single backpack. And I took wow. off for Central America to pursue writing. Uh, I wrote my second book in a few days, really. Um, uh, once I got to Costa Rica and was, you know, um, I was competing in the CrossFit games there uh, and regionals. And, um, but it just, that was the, it was like, Hey, you know, there's this, there's this big door that just opened right in front of you. Are you going to walk through it or not? And, uh, and I did. And, and, you know, however many books, a book a year or something like that since in the last eight years or so. But um, yeah, it, it wasn't, it was a very happy accident. I think um, I never really intended on, on making a living as a writer. Um, but man, am I happy that I trusted the open door that the universe provided um, because it has yielded fruit that I could not have previously imagined. Well, isn't that a beautiful thing, right? When the, when the doors open, I mean, you speak like somebody who's uh, experienced psychedelics. So whether you I'm, speak I'm experiencing them right now, to be honest with you, yes, I'm, I, yeah, I'm, uh, yeah, I, for, for a good many years. Yes. I've, I've gone on uh, my share of, of uh, spiritual journeys. And um, I think actually I was supposed to do a peyote ceremony, uh, this last Saturday, but I have a good friend from second range of Italian who's coming to visit me and we're going to, um, we, I postponed and, um, the, you know, there's another one coming up here nearby. So, um, but yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I have long been a, you know, that's a, uh, I, I would say a, a part of my, uh, spiritual practice. Yeah. You, you speak very much like it's a part of you, uh, that is not just a, um, something you've done and then you've moved on from, I mean, you, you speak, you speak in the way that just makes my heart melt. You know, the, the, the universe opened a door for you and you walked through it and you took that opportunity. And you, and that's something that I, I don't know that people really fully grasp. You know, when I speak about, when I speak about psychedelics, a lot of people are, you know, there it's one or the other, right. You're going to get a, you're going to get a mixed bag of reactions. And I often, I often try to, um, speak of it in a spiritual sense, because it really has been a spiritual awakening for me in that, in that sense. And, and to hear the way that you articulate it is really amazing because I wonder if, do you think that if you had never experienced psychedelics, your writing would be what it is now? Um, yeah, I, it, it would be impossible to say that they haven't influenced it. It's like, um, you know, the, how many great authors throughout history, um, have been influenced by their relationship with God. Um, and their writing reflects that. Um, I'm currently on a, um, a bit of a Dostoevsky kick right now. And, you know, his, the way that God influences writing and the way that, um, you know, he, he created characters 
um, to explore his spirituality, um, I think is quite a profound and lasting thing. Um, I look at, I, I've been tinkering with this idea lately that um, psychedelics, um, you know, things like the yahe or, or ayahuasca, or peyote, um, they're, they're kind of like a spiritual windfall, right? It's like winning a bit of a lottery, right? It's like a lot of it comes in all at once. And if you're not prepared for that, right, if you're not good with money to begin with, having a bunch of it all at once is not necessarily a great thing. Uh, it's, it might temporarily increase your happiness. Um, you might, you know, you're kind of overwhelmed. And if you don't integrate that windfall into, you know, your, your daily life, if you don't invest it properly, if you don't, um, then you're going to be bankrupt, likely, like statistically speaking. Um, so it's, you know, I think people look at it like, um, you know, it can be, you know, some kind of answer, but, um, you know, that is a, um, if you're not willing to integrate that and you're not willing to reinvest that, um, that experience, um, through practices of meditation, like a daily work practice, um, then, you know, it is easy enough to, um, to lose that. Um, it's not like a one-time hit the button and now I'm enlightened kind of a thing. It really opens your eyes to the amount of work that is required of you um, on a daily basis. And, and, but it also shines a light on how beautiful doing that work can be, um, you know, and how much can come out of it. Uh, so it's a, uh, it's, I think it's, there's value in it um, for a good many reasons. I think it's soul enriching, right? I think it gives people the opportunity to to find themselves in a way that you have to be ready for. And like you said, the integration and doing the work, my dear God, there's something about consistency that really, really you're, allows you to put forth some of the best best parts of you if you if you if you give it an opportunity and you, and you respect it. I think that's the the word I use with psychedelics is you need to have respect. There needs to be a massive amount in in, in the in the biggest way, respect has to be given um, when when delving into something like that because I feel like it can really break people. It can really damage people if they're not ready for the the new reality you walk out of. Um, whether you're walking out of the yurt and you look at the trees differently all of a sudden, or you, you you just see things very very differently. And I was fortunate enough to have Griff kind of walk me through that process with heroic hearts. Thank God, because if I didn't have a what I call as my pack members there. I don't know that I would have walked out of that one too well, but I know that it gave me the, the moment, the moment I needed the opening, right? That idea that there's so much more out there than just yourself and the connection and the unification that can, that can happen from that is really beautiful. Um, you've done a lot of different things that I kind of want to start delving into here. So my apologies for the ping pong behavior, but I, you have a lot, you've done a lot. You really have, you're an accomplished individual who has, has kind of stepped their foot in a lot of different playgrounds. And one being the Rangers, one being a very successful writer, in my opinion. So suck it. It's my opinion. If you don't like it, get over it. Um, and then you've also done a lot of, um, you've been an athlete and that's something I kind of want to talk about because um, I, I started doing triathlons. I started doing, um, I'm a road bike rider and things like that, but physical fitness is really a, a, a big, a big thing we talk about constantly on our mental health Mondays on our shows and the importance of like staying fit and, and being well. And because that's a big proponent of depression, right. Is being physically moving constantly, just always doing something for your body. How is it that you got into CrossFit and, and, and that life was that, pre-ranger like you you were an athlete before a ranger how did this all fall um 
like I, I grew up watching my dad compete in triathlons. Um, and, um, oh. so it, like, right. The, 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 as a parent now, I'm, 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 I'm realizing how obvious this is, is that what you say matters very little compared to what you do. And, um, my dad, he did triathlons and I, I was at, I was at that cocky age. I think I was around 18. This was pre-army where, um, I told him we were at dinner. I was like, I could beat you at a triathlon. You're old and fat. Yeah. Um, and I had never swam a lap before I had never yeah. ridden a road bike before. I, I just, I was like, I was confident right in that test, the father time here. And he goes, okay, well, there's a triathlon, um, an Olympic distance triathlon in Memphis. He goes, I'm paying your registration after dinner and you're going to do it. Like you talked, now you got to show up. And so I was like, okay, I have three months to prepare for this thing. Um, Not bad. And I went the next. I went, I went the next morning to uh, a gym that had a lap pool and I asked my dad before I went, I was like, okay, well, how, how, no, it was after I, I got back, I went and I tried to swim the laps and I made it to, to, to 10 laps before I really thought I was going to die. I thought I was like <laughs> going to throw up. And I went uh, the next day and I asked my dad, how long is a mile? This is a mile swim in the ocean that we had to do. Um, uh, he goes, it's 32 laps. And I thought, oh shit. Um, that's three times. Like I'm, I'm going to die. I go, but I can't die. I have to beat him. I've already, I've already made my bet. And, um, so I went back the very next day to, um, cause that was the thing I was the most concerned about was the swim. I was like, I can run the six miles. I can ride my bike, you know, like whatever. I just don't want to drown in the ocean. And so I went back the next day and, and committed to it. I was like, you're either going to swim one mile without stopping, or you're going to die trying right now. That way you don't have to face the, uh, the humiliation of losing to your old fat dad, uh, at this, at this endurance sport. So, um, you know, I, I made it the mile obviously and, uh, and trained and ended up racing against my dad three months later. Um, and I was successful in that. Uh, and so that kind of like, I was like, okay, I really see, I was a high school wrestler and stuff. So I could see, um, when you put work forth the reward that comes. Um, so, uh, fast forward into the army, I was in special operations medic school. This was in uh, summer of 2004, it was a Fort Bragg, North Carolina. And, um, there was a gentleman there who was, um, he had previously been a seal and he was going through, uh, the pipeline, uh, the Q course, uh, to be an 18 Delta or special forces medic. And he saw that, um, myself and my roommate worked out. We went to the gym like twice a day. We went in the morning and we went again in the afternoon, mostly because we were, had no money to go do anything else and going to the gym was free. Um, and, uh, so he challenged us to come and do this new kind of workout with him, uh, called CrossFit. And we didn't understand it. And he showed me the workout of the day was 30 muscle ups. And uh, um, we're at Fort Bragg and he did, um, he did uh, like five in a row uh, on the, on the pull-up bar. And of course, all the guys in the 82nd were looking at him like, what the, what, what are you doing? Yeah, um, I was looking at him like, how, how is he doing that? Um, and so that was my first CrossFit workout was 30 muscle ups for time. Um, and it took me about 10 minutes to figure it one out. And then after I did that, I realized like, this is, this is so much more than pressing weight and lifting weight. Um, that this is me getting up over, a, this is me getting up over a wall, right? Um, we're preparing for war here. Like I was, uh, 21 years old, um, going to special operations medic course. I knew that I was going to be deployed almost immediately out of that course. Um, and I needed, I saw the value of, 
training in a way that wasn't just um, pressing loads, right, of bench and um, squat and deadlift and, and like that a little bit more of a what we would call like a functional movement pattern. That muscle up is literally grabbing a hold of a wall and climbing up over it. Um, and so it kind of opened my eyes to that. And um, I think at the time there might have been 12 or 15 CrossFit gyms in the world. It wasn't like a thing yet. Um, but uh, like I, I can't when I got assigned to third range of battalion. Um, I was doing, I remember doing like fight gone bad was a workout that I would do like three times a week. Um, it was just, you know, so I was doing a lot of that and, and we were doing, um, a lot of mixed martial arts at the time. Um, I fought a little bit, um, while I was in the army and like doing those types of workouts were very functional and practical for an MMA fighter. Um, so, um, yeah. And then, I found triathlon again after I got out. I had had an injury in my third deployment um, that kept me from being able to lift weights. Uh, and so the doctor told me I could swim and I could ride a bike. And that was fine um, for a few months. And so I, I kind of rekindled my, my uh, initial um, love of triathlon. And so post-army, I really focused on that. It was a big thing that, that like it centered, it centered a lot of my energy. Uh, and necessarily, um, you know, you go from operating at that level, um, and having a particular organization in your life and a structure and, a goal, and uh, then all of a sudden that's not there. Uh, triathlon was definitely one of the things that like, it allowed me to orient my focus on something positive. Um, not just entirely on whiskey, which there was way too much of that for quite a few years. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, my, you know, my relationship with fitness, I think for the longest time has been, uh, had been, um, um, this thing that could really keep my, my, um, maybe like this, like hyper, you know, a masculine energy at bay or focused or pointed at quite a bit, uh, you know, for probably over a decade in various sports, um, at a relatively high level. Um, now I look at it more like it's, it's a bit more of a triangle, right? Where the body is incredibly, you know, is a, is a, is a point of that. And well, so is the mind and so is the spirit. So, and all three of those things, um, should be worked toward on a regular basis to be developed and, and to have that balance. Um, so any more activities that, um, can facilitate, um, the stimulation of all three of those, uh, are preferable, right? Um, I find surfing to be in that uh, category, certainly jujitsu. Um, I'm practicing jujitsu on a pretty regular basis. I think there's a, a fantastic cognitive element to that uh, discipline as well as physical. It's very physically demanding, uh, but man, does it do something just right and proper that I can't quite put my finger on for your spirit as well. Um, so the pursuit of those types of activities now is, is, is more like my athletic endeavor. Um, yeah. You age, body hurts a little more, and it's good to find things. That I'm a little can... creaky. I saw, yeah, I saw a physical therapist yesterday for the first time in my adult life, and got my neck corrected after um, rolling a little bit too hard with a um, a very proficient black belt in jujitsu. And um, so, yeah, it's yeah, I'm not I'm not getting old. I'm getting older, um, which we all are. Yeah, getting yeah. We all are. So it's, it, you know, downshifting from sixth gear to fifth gear probably is not a bad idea as I'm turning 40 this year. Yeah, no, it's definitely not a bad idea. I can understand the, um, 
that want to protect the body a little bit. I mean, having a broken body over time, eventually it will catch up with you, whether we like it or not. And there's about finding functional fitness that can, there's, you know, the key about finding functional fitness is, is I find in my opinion is also finding the community around it and really, really solidifying yourself in that and grounding yourself in that. I know that so many people leave the military and they struggle to find themselves. They struggle to find a community again because they're afraid of some of the things they might say might melt people's faces or prompt them to call the police or there's plenty of things. I mean, hey, you know, some of the same people I do, you know, the conversations that have happened, you know, there's plenty of things that you are, you, you cannot say to another human being out loud if you're with a tape recorder or a camera and that's okay, but you have to find that community again. And that's, that's often really difficult I find for vets. And when I hear individuals who are athletes prior to joining uh, the military, and then they go back to it afterwards, it always makes me really happy because sport and activity are, are, are so, are so, so important to healing and to your mental health and to just your stability and your well-being. You're, you're getting out your aggression. You're, you know, it's, it's really beneficial across all platforms. Um, it's funny though, because when I, when I was listening to your audiobook of lest we forget, there was a, a little clip in there that when you were talking about when you're a medic, it was really funny, the groups that you got in when you're all medics and you're just the, the shit talking and the community and there, there's the one incident, I don't know if you know which one I'm speaking of, where you're both, you're all three of you are down um, practicing your medic work and you're each going from one to one to one and you're just smashing everything they've asked you to do. And then your staff go, are you all medics? Here you go. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <Fuck>. <laughs> I, I, so, um, yeah, I do. I I distinctly remember that that was that was in rip, right? That was before yes, it turned into rasp. Yes. Um, and yeah, we, yeah, that was us like really trying to get over, right? Um, right. But uh, you know, we we did we clumped together, and, and we and uh, you know, as people tend to do, um, and you know, there's it's 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 interesting to think about because that was a while ago, but um, just the the value, like you're saying, and being around. Um, people, you know, we kind of started off this discussion with, you know, the value of, of engaging with people who have different opinions uh, than you do, um, certainly. But there's also tremendous value in having your little tribe, your pack, your, you know, of people who you don't even have to say, um, you know, whatever the egregious comment is that could get you in trouble, that you can give no. those people that look and they already know what you're going to say. And that, you know, it's like, it's like this telepathy in a sense, like, um, we, we, we all know where this is going. Like, all right, haha, we're right. not saying it and let's move on. Um, what, what tremendous value there is now. I wrote about that, um, the value of those relationships in my second book on assimilation, where there was a couple of friends, uh, you know, like as I left the military and left those relationships and those people who had those, um, those common experiences with, I, I should rephrase that, the experiences in common that I had that were mm -hmm. anything but common um, comparative to um, our, our demographic, our age group, you know, other people in their mid twenties um, and the removal of that and the, the no longer being able to express how you feel to someone without words um, because the, like, there's just not the same level of understanding um, you know, of those pretty intense experiences, but then really realizing the value of that. When I reconnected with some of those individuals, um, you know, I, I got out and I went back home to Phoenix, Arizona, and it wasn't really working out very well there for me. And I had an opportunity very um, abruptly um, where I was on a, a, a phone call with a, um, a really good friend of mine from the Ranger Regiment, who's also a medic, who is a doctor now. He, uh, he 
you know, we were both kind of drinking on a phone call and he's like, well, shit, man, just move here and go to school with me. And I was like, uh, I'll call you back. And I hung up the phone and I took a shot and like just started throwing clothes in a bag. And I, I called him back like three minutes later. I was like, I'll be there in three days. And so I, I was like, all right, let's go. And, and the, you know, I ended up going to, to school in the Midwest with him. Um, and uh, it was one of those things where, you know, I was studying political science at the time. And there was these conversations that were occurring in these classrooms that were completely adjacent to what my beliefs were. Um, you know, I was like, how could you say that? You know, I had somebody mm -hmm. called me a terrorist in one of my political science classes because I fought in quote unquote Bush's war. And I was like, this is completely cracking my paradigm. Um, I, I didn't think that there could be anybody who would think that way. And it was disruptive and it created a, a bit of dissonance in me. And, you know, I was able to, you know, go home, luckily not throw my chair at that individual. Uh, yeah. And, um, Violent. And go home. Yeah, I was like, ah, but because it like, it, it really stirred me, it was upsetting to me. Um, because it was so different than anything up to that point that I had been exposed to as far as a belief set. Um, and I went home and I was like, 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 you could tell like it was like, emanating off of me the antipathy and like, how much I just wanted to, to, to violence you know and <laughs> um my friend who you know was my my friend who was also you know an army ranger and who was in college he goes oh yeah one of those days huh didn't have to say a word didn't have to say a word to him he's like oh it's one of those like he got it he understood and to be in proximity to somebody who gets it like that um is it's it's it is priceless um so to keep those people who have that shared experience with you um, in your life, I think through that transition process is really imperative. Um, I know a lot of people, myself included, completely unplug, um, completely just step away from it. They want to like thrust themselves out of the way. I, I get it. It's understandable. Um, but yeah, those, those, those tight knit relationships where people really get you is those are uh, profoundly important. Yeah, not only are they important, I think they're completely necessary, especially when transitioning out or, or rebuilding or throwing yourself into the deep end with a civilian population after a combat tour. I mean, there's there's a lot of things that you can just never say. You can never talk to people about it. I mean, even if you did, I mean, even like, let's be honest, if you were to sit down with that individual who decided to call you an army ranger, an, an army ranger, an army ranger a terrorist, <laughs> like that irks me to the point of, of no, like it, it bothers me. I won't lie to you. That bothers me. But if you were to have sat down with that individual, I mean, it's doubtful that you would have gotten through to them because they, it, it seems like, I, cause I went through a similar experience when I, when I came back, I went to college and all of that. And, and there was just no, there was no connection. There was, there was absolutely nothing I could have said in that time frame in those moments that would have resonated with that individual who would have made that individual understand because there's the worst thing you you've ever done or you've ever seen is the worst thing you've ever done and you've ever seen. And you can't fault people for that, but you, you also can't feed into that either. If you were to have taken that chair and thrown it at that person's face or done no God knows what, you wouldn't have needed the chair to do that, let's be honest. But if you would have done that, I mean, all that that would have come off as the angry, violent veteran, the, the war-torn, you know, war dog that just couldn't keep it together, who's just suffering from something, you know, <laughs> war fucked him up so bad that he couldn't, 
he couldn't uh, keep his composure and that that would have done nothing but damage to you and the community and others but it happens so often when you go into these settings where again people have never experienced anything negative a day in their life other than a coffee not being correct at starbucks it's it's hard to build relationships with civilian population afterwards and if you don't have that those key people in your life and you don't have those people you can turn to it's it's a no wonder that we, we we see so many suicides within a tight proximity of releasing from the military. Um, I, I do find in the United States, they have a very different way of uh, dealing with people. I mean, uh, you guys have bases on every corner and every which, you know, uh, state that there is. You have all different branches. We do, too, in Canada, but we do not. We do not have a similar. There is some brotherhood, but there, it's not the same. It's just. It's not as widespread. There's not near as many military members. The special forces, there's not a lot of integration with regular civil, um, regular NCOs and things like that. We just, we don't have the large amount of military that you do. So when I hear that you've been able to have those tough times and be able to call someone and go to X, Y, and Z pretty much anywhere and know that you have someone, I mean, that's fantastic. I wish there was more of that. And I, I do... I do hope to see more of that now that GWAS over. I do hope to see, I mean, there's a million and one nonprofits now. And so it seems like people are catching on. People are trying. People are really putting the effort into making others feel comfortable in those, those types of conversations that you don't even need to have. You know, I go to the States a lot for work because I enjoy being in the States for work because the individuals down there that I'm dealing with, I can just sit in a room and not say a word. Like, that's it. It's it's more often than not when I'm in America, if I'm in the vicinity of at least one bet, I don't have to say much. It's obvious. Mm -hmm. It just is. And it's yeah. special and rare. And you guys have that. And it's it's definitely different for us up here. Um, it's, it's interesting, be, like, because we're I, 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 I live in Mexico, right? Um, I'm in Mexico now. And so, like, America for me is, like, it's, like, up there. And um, it, there is not a veteran community where I live at all, Got um, it. really. So it is that much more noticeable for me when I when I do go um, back to the United States. Um, like you're saying, like that, like oh man, like I, there's just like even if served at different times in different um, different, uh, not even just units but branches of service. Um, that there is for me that much, it's, it's much more like palpable, um, connection. Um, and the, the, um, the, un, like the not necessity of, uh, having to say too much in that group that is just a common experience uh, that unites you. So I do think that, you know, accountability is, is this, is this massive thing. And, um, personal accountability, I think, is a superpower. Um, and it's something that in this conversation of veteran transition, um, you know, I think is becoming more normative. Um, but like, I have to look at it like that person. And that, so that that class that I was in when I was um, called a terrorist for fighting in Bush's war was uh, it was an upper level class. And the class was titled terrorism and political violence. Like we were studying terrorism and political violence. Um, it's kind of like my focus. And so like, yeah, the idea of like, how can I make this person understand? Well, maybe that's not the best question where's my personal accountability in this and how can I better understand that 
person's position to round myself out so that the next time that that type of exchange occurs, that I, I understand better. And so um, this, the, the final project I remember for that class was a 20 page paper, comparative analysis on two different terrorist organizations. And I think most of uh, the students in that class chose Al Qaeda and Hezbollah. You know, there's plenty, there's plenty of content in, in, in both of those mm-hmm. to compare and contrast. And so I was like, okay, you know, that's, that's a way that I could do it. But um, given some of the interactions that I had in this class, let me, let me do something different with this. And I chose the Tamil Tigers, the Sri Alam, and um, the uh, pre-colonial army rangers, right? Uh, oh. And I argued the, like from a perspective that given the tactics, the nonlinear um, tactics that were utilized by Francis Marion and, and his lot, um, that had Britain won the war, um, those people would have most certainly been classified as terrorists, um, just by the way that they, you know, attack supply lines and, and the, the tactics, right? That kind of guerrilla warfare. Um, and so I, I really tried to put myself into that, um, into that other person's seat and go, okay, how can, how can I actually argue for um, his position that, you know, an army ranger is a terrorist. Um, and of course, I was able to, at the very end, squeak out of, you know, landing on that as being the decisive uh, answer, because the concept of terrorism wasn't really defined until the French brain of terror, which was after um, the American Revolution. So technically, the word terrorism didn't exist when they were going about it. So you can't really label them with that. So, but it was the way I squeaked out of it. But, um, yeah. you know, I was, I was able to at least look at like, okay, historically, like this unit, um, how, how could you frame it at, in such a way? Um, how can I spend 20 pages exploring um, how that could possibly be true? Um, and, you know, I don't know where that individual is, but, uh, you know, I thank him for allowing me an opportunity for growth in, in being able to look at something from a different perspective and a different angle as enraging as it was in the moment. Um, I think that it, it did help uh, me to grow uh, as a human being. It's nice to see that you, your takeaway from that was that it was that it was, the, you know, the appreciativeness of, of another stranger giving you an opposing view. And then you being able to turn around and not only learn from it, but better and grow yourself. I think that's something that's really missing in today's world. I think it's um, a lost, uh, not even a lost art, but a uh, it's just lost on society, I believe. I, I really do. I think uh, personal accountability is something that there is uh, almost non-existent. I think uh, we're very quick to um, blame everyone else for our problems and not look in the mirror at all. And that's, you know, you're seeing that on a global scale my god you're seeing it in my country in the excuse me in the way that um we are right now you're seeing in the united states with your with your current president um i don't even use names because it's not really about left or right it's always about the individual in my opinion that is at the top um that's just the way it works and it's same same with you know my guy here he's uh, sorry not my guy the individual that's currently in a tyrannical power um you know, he's an awesome human, right? So, you know, I think that um, we've lost the ability to look w- within oneself all at the same time. We're also gaining it in society with healing modalities like psychedelics. And I really believe that because you're seeing this resurgence of of individuals who want to get better in life, not just because they're ill, but want to be better in life and using it as a tool to 
to open up and to grow and to let go and to be better. And I think you went through a, a time in history there where, you know, psychedelics and cannabis were, you know, criminalized to the point where people were put in prison for decades. And now you're seeing this resurgence of it where massive universities and um, are studying it and saying, okay, this is, this is healing. This is better for society. This is better for humanity. We should all be trying to see the world the way others are. And we went through this, this just time in, in where we just lost all accountability. We, I don't know why, I don't know, I don't know how it started or when it started, but it's gone on now for an extended amount of time. And it, I'm hopeful and optimistic that individuals want to be better. Um, but I think it comes from the top. I think leadership is key in, in, in structuring the way that we, our young generation, young generation thinks. I think that when you have leaders who struggle to take accountability for their own actions, you, you almost give permission right? It gives this silent permission or nod to act like a complete dick. And um, there's just, there's no reason for it. Um, when do you think accountability kind of went out the window? Well, like I said before, um, you know, as a parent, it's pretty, pretty observable that uh, children will um, do what you do, not necessarily what you say to do. Um, and, you know, if we look at politics as like our, our head politicians or people who are uh, running our country is kind of in a, at least some type, they're in a leadership position for certain, but that kind of like parental uh, situation where they're, they're setting the example of how to interact with people who have a different set of opinions. And when the predominant way that they do that is through mudslinging and uh, divisiveness and, um, um, you know, name calling and not taking personal accountability when they mess up, when they, um, when a politician, um, you know, counter accuses rather than saying this is this, yeah, this was something that I messed up uh, and I'm going to make it better. Um, this is how I'm going to make it better. This is how I'm going, going, to, going to fix my mistake that, and then they follow through with that. And it's not just talk, then that, I think that provides an example for their constituents, for the citizens of a nation and globally, depending on how high up their position is in government. Um, but, you know, I, I think that the division, like the, the, the theatrical level of division within our political structure become, right. It's like a reality television show where there's, there's, you know, you get better ratings, the, the, the more sensational that you are as a politician, um, that that has, I think, at minimum contributed to the divide uh, in individuals and our, our not inability, but um, because we are able to to have empathy and see how other people see the world and to, to converse intelligently with people who um, don't share our opinions. It's that the example that we're seeing from our, you know, our uh, political parents in a sense um, is such that we believe that that is maybe the right way to go about it. Uh, we give those figures this great authority to make rules. We, we elect them into a parental sort of a position and then they act a fool uh, with it. And so, you know, a lot of people will look at that theme as a different uh, um, um, when you see people who, you know, maybe 90% of their virtues and morals would line up 
perfectly well. And then that tech of, of, you know, this one issue or that issue um, is enough to cleave a divide between them. And then that becomes the focal point, um, you know, instead of the 90% of, of their similarities, the, the focus is on that 10% of their differences. To overcome, but when you're inundated with that message of polarity of, um, of on a regular basis, um, psychologically it can be very difficult to overcome that the us versus them um, mentality and um, and narrative that I think is is so frequently displayed um, in in the in the political theater that that we are kind of. <sighs> Um, unless you unplug entirely from everything, uh, if you have that luxury, um, you can chew on something else for a while. Uh, but yeah, I think that, that that's at least a part of where it comes from is the, the political theater of division um, uh, at the highest, highest levels. Yeah, I'm, I'm optimistic. Like I said, I, I, I do wish there was uh I'd like to think it was just political, but now, at least in Canada, seeing the way that our school systems have adopted uh, new ways of educating our children, it's really fascinating uh, having a son in kindergarten, really watching uh, what's being taught, how it's being taught. The victim mentality is really, um, it is really concerning. I'll be honest, you're a parent, so I'm not quite sure how old your child is, but mine's of the age of school. So, you know, there definitely is a, there is major concern. Uh, and I am hopeful that the, there's ways that, you know, like you said, your parent, it's about what they do, not what they say and, and how they do it. So I believe that as long as you're a good enough example as a parent, then you can maybe uh, not uh, wash away the, the sins of the schools or the, or of the governments of that, but you can at least invoke a different type of thought um, in your own home. And I think that's also the key is we're, we're so quick to to teach our children to follow orders and to follow, 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 but we don't teach them how to think critically. We don't teach them how to think for themselves. And my God, I got to tell you when a five-year-old says to the teacher, no, I don't think we should think that way. The teachers never know what to say to that response. And that's a beautiful thing. Cause that means someone's thinking differently that, and it doesn't have to necessarily mean it's right or wrong, but they're thinking they're thinking. I, I completely agree. I completely agree. And that's something that, um, it's, it's an interesting line. My, my daughter's, she'll be five um, um, this summer. And so she's definitely coming into her own. She is a critical thinker and it's something that we encourage, um, it, you know, but it is, there's a line, right? Like, like how, how far do you, you know, how far do you allow it, um, you know, a developing mind um, to, to wander. And I think like at this stage, it's very much like play with the colors, make a mess, you know, get, you know, figure these things out, ask questions questions. You know, I'm very, you know, um, I want um, my daughter to be very well-versed at asking questions, um, questions, because it, it, it creates a, it creates um, a mindset of questioning what is around them and uh, structures and, and everything. And um, yeah, it's, we had our, our family our family dog passed away in December and these two came up together, right? We got the puppy the same week she was born and they were very close. And, um, and we didn't, 
we, my wife and I discussed it beforehand, like how are we, you know, we had to put the dog down and it was a very difficult moment, right? This is a difficult thing um, that we asked our four-year-old, Hey, you know, do you want to be present for this? And she said, yes, I do. And um, that sprung forth um, some very deep existential questions that she began to ask because she realized the more, uh, uh, mortality of the dog. The dog can die. That means I can die. That means my mom and dad can die. Oh, and she's wow. <laughs> attempting to process, but she's a very brilliant young child. And she's asking some very deep questions about what happens after and, and all these things. And um, it's like that, this is what I asked for, <laughs> you know, uh, here it is, uh, batter up. Um, so, but, but to, to respect that, like inquisitiveness in children, um, to, to let them, you know, to let them go with their creative minds and not try to corral it too much. Um, you know, these ideas of, um, you know, censorship, right. Is, is something that, um, is definitely a big topic now, and it should always be a big topic because it's the first, uh, step, I think, in a, you know, in a short road to tyranny. Um, and so yep. this, this <laughs> <laughs> this this idea that like what's a, I, I contemplated this quite a bit as a parent before my child could even talk uh, was what is a bad word? What does Ooh. that mean? Right. So like if you're going to say, no, you can't say that because it's a bad word. Well, um, you know, is shit a bad word? Well, it depends on how you use it. Um, you know, I got I had some I had some. <laughs> sidebar but I had I had a couple of people not like how many times I said fuck in my first book lest we forget it was like 68 times um but I'm like so I much. there's there's no way there's no way to tell a story about army rangers that is accurate without using the word fuck it just it, it, you would be you would you wouldn't be you would be it would be disingenuous to the vernacular of that demographic um and so um, people didn't like it, but it's like, well, that's, you know, is it a bad word? Well, it's an accurate word to describe, you know, a lot of scenarios and situations. Sometimes that's the absolute best word, the only word uh, that you can use, right? So is it bad? Well, not in so much as the way that, that it is utilized. If it's over, overutilized, like any word, it can be bad, right? So I, I really went through this. I'm like, man, I, I just, what is a bad word? How, how can I, you know, cause this is going to come up and it has, and I said, you know, she's like, well, is shit a bad word? I was like, well, it depends on how you use it. You know, the only word I think that's really bad is can't. And that's where I landed on. I was like, you like, that's a word that I'm, I, um, I'm going to maybe not censor you from, but understand that that is a word that you're, you should not and will not use around me. Um, because the more that you say the word can't, um, and you start to believe that you can't do something, well, is it really that you can't or is it that you're unwilling or that you don't want to? If you say, hey, I don't want to do that, well, that's fine. You know, that's that's something that we can discuss, your, your want versus need profile. But um, don't say that you cannot do something when you're perfectly capable. And let's be honest, we're perfectly capable of just about anything as long as we have the drive and the, um, and the direction uh, to accomplish it. So, um, yeah, those types of those types of things, um, as, as far as like being an example of that. And then in the times when I have uttered that filthy, filthy word in front of my daughter, you know, she'll correct me at four years old. Good. She's like, Papa, we don't, we don't use the word can't. And I'm like, damn, you're right. Thank you. I apologize. I'm going to take accountability and responsibility for that blunder. And you're absolutely right. I can do that. I can do anything. Um, 
So to, to set forth and to be that example, to apologize when you do wrong, even when you're in a position where you don't have to, right? Our politicians don't feel like they have to apologize, but, but man, what an example would it set if one of them oh. actually did? Could you imagine if, if, if a politician were to, to come and have a news conference and say, hey, look, I messed this up, I apologize, and this is how I'm planning on fixing it. Like, I Can think people would, people would be absolutely, they would be like, what's going on? Is the world ending? Like, uh, you know, and like, that's one of the things that I think is one of the most, as a parent is one of the most powerful things is to say to my young daughter who I don't have to, I have a, I'm in a significant power position over her. I don't have to say, Hey, I apologize. I messed that up. I was wrong. But by me doing that, it, it allows her the opportunity to do the same throughout her life when she has made a mistake to be personally accountable, to correct the error in-house with herself um, and move forward a, a better human as a result. Um, so um, to lead by example uh, in those things, um, you know, to guide our children that way, I think is, um, is the way to, to, to leave them the most lasting, profound Im impact, not just on them, but as a result of them, the entire world. Um, that is what we, that is within our, our um, scope of influence for certain. Um, I can't change what the politicians in Washington are doing uh, necessarily, um, directly, immediately, but I can change the way that this particular little girl, or at least help guide the way this little girl um, looks at herself as a critical thinking, um, capable, autonomous being in the world. And Hey, now it's on your shoulders, uh, you know, cause I like you go forth and you can, you can yeah. change the world with that attitude, um, for certain. Oh, and the tools that you give her are, those are, those are unparalleled to anything else that anyone can give a child. I mean, so our children are one year apart and I have a boy. So this is a little bit of a different ball game, but I can tell you a hundred percent without a doubt, the way that you speak to your child is, is no different than we are that with ours. I mean. When I was a child, the word can't was physically cut out of a dictionary. Mom was like, doesn't exist. Don't know what you're talking about. And that formulated my life from age four on. Like that was the, the, the I can't look at me. Kent, really? Did you just say that? I'm like, nope, nope, did not. I mean, the idea of uh, language is for you in particular, being a writer is massive. And the idea of someone really sitting down and breaking down what is a bad word what is that and and no my son's no different he'll correct me if i say fuck and mommy futtin's a bad word i said it's a bad word in the context i used it but it's not a bad word all of the time it's a bad word for a five-year-old to say and if you're telling somebody not to fucking do something maybe we don't say it that way but there's con there's context to everything i mean i i would i, I would like to honestly agree that, you know, context matters and that, and that should be in a conversation, but we also know that's not true, right? We also know that context, everything is taken out of context nowadays. And it can be, uh, you can be belittled, you can be canceled, you can be, have a career destroyed out of context, whether you meant to say it in a, in something, in a sentence that truly, you know, the word made an impact and it wasn't a, out of hate or malice or negativity, but, you know, Context matters and it used to matter more. Now it doesn't matter. You can say it in any situation and you're still, you could be have the best of uh, intentions or positivity attached to it. But it, you know, if someone doesn't like how it, that sound hits their ear, it's offensive. And so you see a, 
kind of this balance, this check and balance going across language now. And certain words really, really do affect people. Like um, there's plenty, but can't is definitely one you and I will agree with until, you know, till the cows come home. That's an incredibly uh, powerful word that should never be utilized around children. And um, the fact that your daughter was able to think critically during the loss of a pet like that and a family member, you know, that's, that's key in development. That's key in them knowing that life is, you know, not this uh, long thing that never ends. We have to appreciate, and I'm sure that will give her a, you know, a cause, uh, a moment of pause when thinking about when, when she's doing certain things, life is, is, is fragile and it's not always here to stay. And you taught her that lesson very early. And I think that's quite fantastic. I love, I love nothing more than hearing parents who take and put time into their kids. And I don't mean time sit in front of the TV. I mean, time to sit down and have tough conversations and why things don't, this doesn't make sense. And it's okay that it doesn't, or why we don't say these things. And um, something that you said there that really resonated with me is um, an adult apologizing, even, or a person apologizing, even when they didn't necessarily have to, but it would have been the right thing to do. Last weekend, my, my son and two other children almost got run over in our cul-de-sac by a neighbor, um, by an elderly woman. And uh, her response was uh, disgusting, frankly. But uh, long and short, um, when the police approached her, there was no apology. She, she straight blamed all of the five and four and three-year-olds. And um, it was really, frankly, quite disgusting. And it brought up something in me that I haven't felt in a long time. And that was very just gross emotions, just very troubling. Just, I felt very troubled that a woman in her seventies or late sixties could blame a five-year-old for playing. And what was really telling to me was when my child got up and came over to me and balled up his fists and he just, one of these. And he said, I don't like her. And I said, tell me why. And I wanted, I, I was hoping I got, I got what I was hoping for, but I, I wanted to see how his brain would process this, right? This, this moment of almost being run over, like truly. And I mean, like adults got behind a car, got behind it and like, moved, like it was, it was quite, it was quite horrific to watch. I won't lie. And um, he came over and he's, I'm angry with her. And I said, why? And he goes, she did not even apologize to us. That's it. It's one word. It's a moment out of your day to acknowledge that maybe you didn't do the right thing. And like I would posit that it is actually the most detrimental to that person who who has the capacity to apologize, right? Who who is in the position to apologize. That it doesn't that it doesn't hurt the people who you who you withhold the apology from, um, but it actually hurts yourself because that is a that is an opportunity for personal accountability. It is an opportunity to say, "Oh, I didn't get this right." Um, and if I vocalize that, if if I if I put that out in words, then the opportunity arises to get it right the next time. And I'm not saying like as far as distinction in language, I is another one that I don't say I'm sorry. And I mm. try to never use that term because if you think about what I'm sorry means, the, you know, it's a synonym with being pathetic. It's, it is de, uh, degrading to the person who's using it in a sense, right? To say that I am, I am sorry. Now, I understand like also sorrowful, right? I am sorrowful. But um, it's why I think using the word I apologize or the term I apologize um, is, 
I think better all around, but that's, you know, kind of a sidebar, but the, the idea of, of being aware of the words that we use, um, because the words, as much as our thoughts formulate our words, our words also formulate our thoughts. Um, I think that's one of the things that makes this type of a format, uh, these like long kind of like conversation podcasts um, work so well is that a lot of times it's like, I don't have really have a fully formed thought. We're going to sit here and we're going to discuss it. And I'm going to discover what my thought is as I'm putting it into words. Um, so the, like the words that we use are tremendously powerful. Um, they're also not ours. They've been given to us from someone else. Um, you know, you said earlier that like, yeah, sometimes I just make up words. That's great. Uh, I think Shakespeare is credited with making up somewhere around 2000 words that we still use in, uh, in the English language. So um, I make up words um, uh, on occasion and, uh, and I plug them in uh, to my writing and um, you know, uh, I, but being critically thinking about the words that we use is to be critical of the thoughts that we're having. Um, and both are equally important. And they, there is a relationship um, uh, there that, 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 that is so tight um, between our thoughts and our words um, that, yeah, it is, it is crucial the way that we use either one of those. Isn't it profound when somebody takes accountability, even for small children to acknowledge that all it would have taken was a, uh, a moment. I mean, we teach our children so often to be these good humans, to be these people that are there for one another and helpful and supportive. And then they watch grown adults not do the same thing. And then they, we wonder why yeah. <laughs> we wonder why that they're not acting accordingly. Uh, do as I say, not as I do. It doesn't really work in, no. in practice. You know, um, we have to we have to set the example um, for others to follow um, through our actions, not our words. Absolutely. I think that's that's not just with children. I mean, you know, um, uh, you want to have a good neighbor, be a good neighbor. Um, Right. It's it's that simple. I, I see. That's what I find so fascinating is it's not complicated. I think being a good human being is not complicated as we make it. We choose, I feel like these paths that we are doing unwillingly, like unwittingly, like we you know, patterns of behavior, maybe we are set in them for so long, we don't understand that we're, you know, damaging X, Y, and Z while, you know, going through the motions of everyday life. But just depending on how you choose to live, I think we've all, at least, at least I'm speaking of me, um, I don't mean to generalize so aggressively, but I think in my opinion, those around me, um, a lot of people have spent the, the last few years, years, at least of their lives in this, in this, uh, traumatic slumber of just wake up what, what's bad on the news again move through go through life up down and it's just this big cyclical gross circle and I think we've allowed ourselves in humanity to just kind of sit in this traumatic sad place um and we haven't really been aware of our our emotional you know issues that we've all developed over the past couple of years and we haven't been aware of the maybe the energy we put out into the world when we walk into a room or how we make someone feel or the the fact that maybe you, instead of uh, flipping somebody off, maybe you smile instead. Like there's a difference in the way that we act in this past few years. And I'm really seeing it when you go out into like the civilian public in the way that people react with one another. It For me in Canada, it's troubling. It's, um, I don't know if people just aren't conscious anymore or they're on autopilot or what it is, but it's a concern in my opinion. Yeah, self-awareness, right, um, is uh, a big 
incredibly important step. That's what, you know, going back to psychedelics, that's a, that is a way that we can gain a little more self-awareness, meditation, right? Having those practices. So we're aware of, of um, how we are acting, how we are speaking. And, um, you know, from there, so many other um, great things can happen. Um, but yet I think that there are a lot of people who are sedated um, by, you know, I think predominantly right now, there's a lot of, there has been uh, in recent history, um, a bit of a fear cycle where um, our amygdalas, uh, parts of our brain have been kind of hijacked uh, with, with fear. Um, and I think that I, I hypothesize that this will actually create a, um, a bit more of a um, conscious uh, awakening for a lot of people. Um, and it, it, will, it will end up being a good thing in the long run um, because it's making people, I think a lot of people who might not have otherwise looked at themselves in, um, in a particular way to do that, it's, 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 um, uh, it's a bit of a catalyst or, or, or it can be like the shutting in, this locking in, um, in the, this, this kind of uh, dark year of the soul maybe um, that we've had um, where people are kind of having to go through a bit of that uh, in as far as like to use terms in like the alchemical process, the, you know, uh, the burning and the, the rekindling and then the Phoenix that comes from that, um, that Negredo phase um, that I think we are kind of in a bit, bit of that um, collectively, socially um, right now. But I think that it is from, from that, that we will emerge um, collectively and, and um, be in, in more of a light, um, you know, that I'll the phase or the, um, we'll come into um, a, a deeper knowing of ourselves uh, as a whole. And I, I think that we're seeing that, you know, we're, we're seeing, like you said, the resurgence of people utilizing, um, you know, uh, a, sh a shaman route instead of traditional Western medicine and, um, that that is allowing for an opening of people's um, consciousness, their self consciousness, their awareness of who they are, um, and their their particular relationships. So that's one part of it. I don't think that's all of it, but um, definitely, um, you know, I think we're the the pendulum is is swinging. I like to think in a positive direct. We're going through the darkness, and and so will come the light. Yeah. Um, I would agree with you on that. I was just the episode I was doing um, right before I, I same analogy. I said, you know, I think things are really, we've really done a lot of this where we went all the way up here to the really dark, dark traumatic things where, you know, a society really, really struggles. And then we're kind of, we're kind of down, we're back on the upswing here. And I, and I have to believe that I think, I think I truly have to believe that I think for my own well being, but for others around me, I think there is this this idea also that you are the, the energy in the room when you walk in. And if you always walk in with this dark, heavy weighted idea that will reverberate across everyone and everyone will feel that. And it could influence how they're feeling. It could um, heighten them in a way that you didn't expect. And, you know, everyone wants to be a good person for the, excuse me, for the most part, but I do, I do believe it is a, it is a struggle right now for others. And I am very optimistic at the, at the, um, in the way that people are dealing with their, with their issues and their trauma there. I'm seeing more people band together than I've ever seen in a very, very long time. And I am, I am very, um, 
I'm very hopeful, at least up here. Uh, some say I don't have a reason to be, but I really am. I really, really am. I mean, when a society bands together, it's a powerful, powerful thing. Um, what is like, what's it like for Mexico for you? How is that living in Mexico? Um, I, it's become, for me, it's, it's, it's become a bit more normative now, like, mm -hmm. um, because I've been here for a few years, but, um, it, it is always an experience. There's, there's always an opportunity for me to expand myself, um, that much more because, um, no matter what, no matter how long I live here, I'm not from here. I am assimilating into this culture. I am an immigrant. I am attempting to understand. I, like I got invited to my first real big quinceanera uh, last year, and it was like, oh man, this is okay. Like you know, <laughs> like all right, like I'm I'm. My daughter was born here, and um, my wife is from Canada, so my my daughter's actually um, Mexican American Canadian. Um, oh, brilliant. Th That's perfect. She holds, yeah, she holds all three passports. But like, so like her experience um, growing up here and living here is obviously very different than mine. And um, it is it is a cultural step away from from my experiences. Um, and I take great um, I take great satisfaction in that and being in a place that I'm not from and attempting to um, the process of attempting to understand um, the culture, like wh where does this particular food come from? Why is this the traditional dish of Christmas time? Or, um, what are the, um, so that I can get to know this culture and be like, kind of as a result, understand the people who have been raised in this culture and conditioned by this culture a little bit better. Uh, it broadens my particular horizon, uh, as far as my understanding of, uh, human condition. Um, and the surfing is really good and, um, yeah, I, I enjoy it here. Uh, um, it's, uh, it's a definitely, it's certain, certainly a different pace. Um, that's something that I've had to get used to, um, you know, to put it in, uh, to an example, like in the, in the U S it's like very easy when you have a to-do list, it's like, oh, I'm running errands today. I've got, you know, you might have seven or eight and drop the car off to get the oil changed while you're running in to get, you know, um, you pick up the dry cleaning and some groceries and all the stuff you can do four or five things all at once. And here I found that if you can get two things done in a day, you're highly productive. So, um, I live in a, a relatively small town, uh, rural Mexico. And, um, you know, there was times when it took me an entire week to get my oil changed because like, they just weren't open at, you know, two o'clock in the afternoon on a Tuesday, like they're just closed. Uh, and then, you know, finally you catch a hold of that person and you know, we don't have that kind of oil. So you have to wait <laughs> until we do like, uh, like, all right. Um, so there's, there's this fun, adventurous um, kind of element to it. The area that I live is definitely growing very fast. I don't know if maybe you might've heard some construction going on behind me during the oh, course of this conversation, but um, yeah, it is, it is, it's a, it's a cool spot. It's not, um, not the craziest place I've ever been, um, but uh, it does provide a, a sustained um, level of adventure um, in trying to do anything um, becomes a, a little adventure. So um, it, you know, I wouldn't personally, I wouldn't have it. I couldn't have it any other way. I need to have a little bit of that like, wait, what's going on? Um, so uh, yeah, I, I enjoy it thoroughly. It's a beautiful place. Um, and, you know, there we're, we're blessed to be in this community of, um, just very hardworking, um, beautiful people. Um, it's kind of, uh, this town has been traditionally kind of split between agricultural and, uh, fishing. Um, so, um, 
you know, there's, there's great farming. And um, as a result, we have very um, fresh groceries that, you know, are sourced very locally and also fish where we buy fresh fish from the fishermen who come in at midday and um, we get to talk to them. And um, so the experiences of like where our food's coming from, um, you know, and us having our own garden and our own fruit trees that I've planted and stuff that, um, you know, we've created, um, a pretty tranquil place among what can be perceived as, you know, the chaos and tumult of the, the, the current world. Um, so every once in a while, I'll poke my head out and see, like, look around and be like, okay, okay, okay. I see, I see what's going on. Okay. Now I'm back into my little cave here. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to nestle into some, uh, some, some old books and, um, make sure that my pomegranates are coming up the way that, uh, I want them to make sure those are trimmed up. So, but yeah, it's, it's lovely. I think that life is lovely um you know however we have the capacity to make our lives uh, as lovely as we as we desire them to be and um this is where we desire to be and uh so for the time being it is you know it's just home it's just it's just what it is you know dude i that makes my soul so soul enriching it really is you don't hear people speak about their lives this way you don't hear people articulate the importance of certain things like just calm and peace and, and still and having a slower way of life. There's definitely something to be said for when you need to do business, you need to do certain things, going to certain cities, getting it done and leaving and just letting it go and let it be there, knowing that it's there, not having to be submerged in it 24 seven is frankly quite neurotic and like feels dangerous and, and dark. I mean, the idea of living in a place like New York city, just kind of just makes my chest tight. Uh, there is no peace. There is no calm to that. It's a different type of way of life. And, and the way that you live is, is, um, a way that I aspire to live. And I, I hate you a little bit that you have pomegranates. <laughs> I, I despise you just a tiny bit now here, Leo, at the idea of the peacefulness that you, you get to surround yourself with, but what an incredible way to, uh, to get your daughter to have all three passports. My God, like you did that right, sir. Like you yeah. really, you guys thought that through. It was a little sneaky, but yeah. Um, nah. I joke around, right? Like it's like the, I, I joke around, I call her my anchor baby, um, <laughs> which is a very politically incorrect term. And I understand it, uh, um, but uh, I'm allowed to say it because she's my daughter. Um, Mine. <laughs> that like that I was, um, that uh, my wife and I were able to uh, expedite the process of becoming, um, you know, getting our green cards in Mexico, like literally our green cards, like our, our permanent residency status. And we're eligible now to be citizens. Uh, and we haven't made the decision yet if we're going to do that or not. Um, but um, I, I won't relinquish my U.S. passport. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm an American. Um, and so, yeah, it's, um, it's really, it's kind of cool. Like we, we had this plan um, pre-COVID that um, as she was coming in, as our, my daughter was kind of coming into uh, what would be like her, her lasting memories, her first lasting memories to do the great North American road trip where we would drive from where we live in Southern Baja up to Alaska and then across Canada and then down the East coast to uh, Yucatan Peninsula and Mexico and across. So like just taking a year to make this big, ugly oval um, so that she could experience um, all three of the nations in which she is a citizen of and, um, you know, and have that initially. And so we, we kind of had to put that on pause because of border closures and everything. And now we're, we're coming back into the concept of like, maybe we can do this, but it is being a family that is of three different nations at this over the last two years has presented quite a few difficulties, um, in, in regards to being able to go and see our family members and things like that, and then being able to come and visit us. But luckily we, I think we're getting beyond that now and, and things are opening up quite a bit more. And, um, we've had a constant stream of family come and, and visit us here 
year and that's been beautiful um so um and we're we're ready to receive more um uh more guests and and uh, we're ready to, to get out and again peek out of our cave a little bit um and now that things are getting back to some degree of normalcy I got to tell you, Leo, what I didn't expect and what I wasn't aware of, and it's not that you were never capable prior to me knowing this, but it's something really, it makes my heart really happy. It brings me a little bit of emotion. I won't lie to you. The, the route you're going and raising your daughter and the way you are raising her and the words you choose around her and the stillness, the strength, the critical thinking, the, the idea that your daughter is not going to grow up with this naive perspective of the world is something that I wish for, for so many more children. I am so happy. I am so happy when I meet other individuals who care about the well-being of their children to the extent in which I do. And I'm not saying I'm a shining star in any, in, you know, but I, the, the way you speak of how you parent is rare and, and special. And to not be taken granted, uh, to take granted, it, it is something that it, I only wish that could be taught uh, on a large mass scale in a very rapid amount of time. <laughs> thank you very much. I, I take that as a, as a, a, a thank you very much. I think that that's a greater compliment than anything you could possibly say about my writing. Um, I look at that as being like, I've, I've sat with this quite a bit in meditation and um I think about like, like I have these years, I'm, I'm here, what do I do with them? You know, I've, I spent a lot of time in a rocking chair um, and, and mulling over existential uh, dreadful questions. And uh, like, what, what can I do? What can I do that is lasting? Um, and it's terrifying to, to kind of really start picking at that. And you start to realize like the time is very short and it's, it is going very fast. And what do I have the capacity to really do good in this world? What can I do better than any other human? What can I do that only I can do in this world? And I think about that and I think about it in the context of writing. I'm like, well, a lot of people can write. In fact, a lot of them write a lot better than I do. That can't be it. You know, I enjoy writing, um, you know, sports, same thing. Um, and it comes right down to it that the one thing that I can do that no other human being can do um, is be the father to my daughter. And so though that has to lead to, well, then you should be focusing your primary energies on that. That should be your number one goal to be the best at the thing that you're the only one in the world that can do. Be the absolute best. Put your energy, put your time, your focus, everything on, or at least the majority of it, the primary element of your being on the, the thing that you can do that no one else can do. And I, I haven't come up with anything else I, um, that is more important than being the father to my child. It's the one thing that no one else can do. Um, and that if I strive to do that better than anything else in my life, and I, if I, even if I come up short, um, then I have succeeded in such a way that will supersede any novel I could ever write, any poem, any collection of poems, any world championship I could win um, in sports. Um, that that is that it it, it creates um, it creates an image to walk toward on this otherwise potentially. Um, 
um, obscure path of life, right? We get distracted by money. We get distracted by politics. We get distracted by all these things. And it's very easy to kind of lose our way, to stumble, to start be pursuant of a goal that isn't even really ours. Um, and if we have that one thing uh, in all of our life that we can look at and say, that is my ultimate goal, um, then, then even if we're taking small steps toward that, um, I think that that is, um, you know, it can be comforting in a storm uh, when things get real crazy. It's like um, I have a I have a thing that um, when I'm getting really like, oh man, like I, I don't feel like I've I don't feel like I'm enough. You know, I don't feel like I'm writing well enough. I don't feel like I'm productive enough in my writing. I don't I I feel really um, uh, a bit lost. You know, I I you know I have issues with depression and. I have uh, issues, you know, um, that stem from um, from war with uh, traumatic brain injuries and things like that, and it, it becomes very easy to get uh, lost in all of that and um, and the, the the ramifications of that. And I look and I, I say, is my wife and daughter are they happy? Are they healthy? Um, are, are they safe? And that becomes this like anchor in a storm of like, okay, well, you're doing that right that is your center focus. That is your center goal. And if they are, if they are happy and healthy, then, you know, all of the other things that I can do, um, are very secondary or tertiary to that. Like that, at least I'm doing that one thing in life. Right. Um, and so far I haven't, I haven't looked upon them and said, no, they're not those things. Um, and, and so I feel like I'm, I'm successful, uh, in, in my primary goal in life. And that's very much, very much, um, my family. Damn it, Leo. That's beautiful, man. It really is. Like that's, that's the, people don't care like that. <laughs> it's just, you don't hear it very often where that's like the, the most important thing, right? You know, people, we talk, talk to a lot of people about their lives and what they do and what they're promoting and how that is, but that's never been, um, it's never been, uh, formulated on the show that way. And I think that's fucking incredible. I feel like eventually I can picture a little um, children's book of her just kind of traveling through the world in a book about her. And I can, I can picture the illustrations and I can see, and it's like some in Spanish and some in English. And it's like, I've got this whole. We're, Cause I, my daughter and I are co-authoring a children's book currently. Uh, like I, I say, I it. it's kind of like her, it's an after school project. Um, our friend, our, our mutual friend, Nick Betts actually had a really great idea when he, last time he was here visiting. Um, as I mentioned, when he dropped in uh, out of the blue on Christmas morning, like, hey, buddy, I'm here. Um, wild man, wild man, Nick Betts. But yep. uh, um, <laughs> I think it was him who had this really great idea because I was I was talking about this. I wanted to write a book that was from the perspective of my daughter as we're traveling around the world. And he goes, you know, it'd be really great is if you took all the pictures, like you, you, you had photos in it and all of those photos were pretty much taken from your knee level or like from her perspective. Um, and I'm like, that's really really great. So I actually bought her a camera. So it's like, I'm not going to take the photos. She's gotten really interested in, in taking photos now. And so she's snapping pictures. And that's something that I, I think will eventually work toward. Um, but we're, we're doing something where she's doing illustrations. I've written a couple of children's books already. They're just sitting in a folder. I, I have like five or six books that I've written that are just kind of sitting in a folder that 
will likely probably never see the light of day. Um, but um, yeah, I, I like working on creative projects uh, with her after school. We paint together. Um, we have a little painting studio, art studio here at our home. And um, so she's working on illustrations and we're coming up with stories and um, she's, she's, she's wild, man. Like we, we will we'll sit on a pretty regular basis in the evenings at dinner. And um, we have every, every book that Shel Silverstein ever wrote. And, um, we read Shel Silverstein, uh, back and forth and she'll, you know, she'll go, Poppy, it's your, okay, it's your turn. Um, um, you pick a poem and then mom gets to pick a poem and she gets to pick a poem and we read it and we go through it to the point where, um, I think before she even turned two, um, there's a video of her where she's reciting Shel Silverstein. Um, so, um, she's she she has definitely the capacity to um outdo me in any kind of uh a creative realm uh that there is if she wants to if she wants to go on and write uh, she will be able to do that if she wants to go work on wall street she'll be able to do it i think she's 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 got quite a powerful mind um so yeah we're we're already we're already in collaboration on those projects um you know, I love early that. It, we'll call it her early work her early work her early work <laughs> But that's fantastic that you're showing her the work ethic as well, and that go, the the time that goes into those things. I know we um we bought um we bought Jack a camera uh two years ago now, the one that just spits out um, little Polaroids. Oh, excellent, excellent. And we have this massive bag of Polaroids that I'm putting in books, and just as he ages, you can see the difference in his photography. And now he's started taking self portraits all of a sudden. And it's wild because he'll hold it and I'll look at them and they're like, just to look at his face and what he sees and how he sees everything in the world. It's such a, it's such a spectacular thing. And I think that's why I said, you know, I want him to, I want him to, um, I want him to take pictures. I want him to explore that. He always sees us taking pictures. He always sees us click, 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 put him in the album, you know, and, and I wanted him to have something tangible that he can say, like, I did this, like I created this, like. He has this idea for a children's book called Crocodile Speed. And um, it's a crocodile that has wheels on it. And it was a crocodile that couldn't walk. It has nothing to do with like uh, inclusiveness or anything like that. Like every, you know, all of that kind of conversation. But it's literally like we love Lego in our house to the point where we have a room just for Lego, like a city. It's a problem. It's a serious problem. And um, it's a crocodile from one of his sets that he took these wheels and he clipped them on the bottom. It goes crocodile speed. And so crocodile speed goes on adventures and does all these things. And I'm like, I need to write a children's book about crocodile speed. Like that thing is legit. And he's like, mommy, I want to write a book too. When he saw me working on money, mommy, I want to do that. And like you said, it's not about what you say. It's about what you do. And it's how they perceive it. And when they see you doing something great, they want to do something great as well. 100%. Absolutely. Oh. I just yeah. love you. I just want to hug you and just say thank you, <laughs> like from humanity. Like, thanks for raising a girl that's going to be a fucking powerhouse. Like, yes. So much yes. In schools right now, they do the pink shirt for anti-bullying day. You know what's anti-bullying? Don't be a dick. Teach your yeah. kid. Be kind. Be powerful, right? Be powerful. Be kind and be, but at the same time, be powerful, you know, a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, that's, she's, we've got a, we have a little, uh, a gym that I made here on the, on our property. And so we have the punching bag and she see me out there, you know, working on that every once in a while. And she wants gloves, Papi, I want some gloves. So I'm going to, you know, and she sees we have mats. Uh, and so, uh, my wife and I practice jujitsu here at the, on the property and she sees us. And so she's got her little gi and she's like, I want to do jujitsu 
sue and she's like throwing arm bars and stuff but like you could talk about that till you're blue in the face but it's not until they see the way that you know exactly the way that mom and dad are being in the world that they will um that, that they will emulate and um yeah it's 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 a double-edged sword too, right? Because like you're, you're like, oh man, I got to stop with these behaviors. Um, it like is this mirror shining back at you, and and it's really right. helping guide you to this like this this more ideal version of yourself, a better version of yourself. It's very it exposes um, these things that maybe um, you know parts of oneself that you kind of have lied to yourself about, like oh I'm rounded out over here, I'm good or this and and like then you see a, your child acting in a certain way. You're like, where are they getting that? You're like, Oh wait, they're they're That's from me. Okay. All right. I need to do something about that. I need to take personal accountability for those things and to change them so that they don't continue to see themselves in my child. Um, and what a gift that is. Oh my, what a profound gift that is um, to, to have someone um, who is not even aware that they're giving you that gift. Um, it is so pure. Um, and um, yeah, we, there's so much that, that there's so much, so much more, I think that we can learn from our children than our children can even learn from us um, in that regard. You just have to be willing to listen and, and uh, look for it, right? We have Pay to be attention. willing to try. Exactly. It's intention yeah. in everything you do. Um, yeah. Wow. Leo, I think I could talk to you for hours and hours and hour, but I'm, I'm probably going to cut it there because I know that people are going to want you back and uh, I'm going to want you back and I'm going to force it. I'm going to force it. I'm gonna force it hard. Uh, it's worth it. You're worth it, man. Seriously. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. This was a, a really great, uh, a great conversation. Um, I'm happy that I, I, anytime I get to have a full on conversation in English and I don't have to stumble through Spanish, I think for me is, is, is great, but this above and beyond that, uh, it was, um, it felt good in my, in my heart and my soul to be able to sit down and talk with you for a little bit and, um, have a cup of coffee and, and, um, we didn't even, we didn't even get to talk any shit about our mutual friend Griff. So I will have to come back and just uh -huh. so that we can slander him, uh, uh, six ways from Sunday, as it were. If Griff doesn't get slandered in almost every single one of my episodes, it's a concerning factor. We must always, he was talking about him in the episode before I will talk about you in this yeah. one, Griff, and then I will talk about you in 12 more. So everybody get the fuck on board. Um, Leo, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. I know you're in a, you're in the writer's hole and you're all secluded, but um, you really uh, went above and beyond for us here and my listeners. And I know that everyone has been waiting for you to come on, has been asking and begging me, get him on. I'm like, do you know how hard it is to get some of these people? Um, but I've succeeded and I win now. So thank you. You're welcome back anytime you would like to. Um, where can everyone find you when you do get your life back up online? Um, you know what, uh, a good conduit for me is Dead Reckoning Collective. Um, I'm not, um, you know, I'm, I am very fortunate that um, in, to work with those guys. Um, so anything that I'm doing that is of importance can usually be found through them. Um, you know, uh, if I'm unplugged for a while, but Leo Jenkins, I mean, literally, if you just type my name in anywhere, it's, that's the way that I've kind of, um, that's my moniker, my, uh, my handle on just about every platform that there is. And uh, if you, you go on Amazon, if you want to look for a book, um, just my name, uh, same Instagram when I'm on there, Facebook when I'm on there. Um, so if you have questions, um, uh, you know, if anyone has questions um, of me or 
for me. Um, I'm, I try, I try to answer as many of them as I possibly can when I'm really on a writing kick. Um, I have to unplug from those things because I do get a lot of questions and I'm really bad at saying no. Um, so I, a lot of my writing is actually in emails, responding to people and answering questions and stuff. Um, so, um, but yeah, I, um, there is a, a project that I'm doing. I think this is like the third or fourth. No, this is like the fifth book I've done um, in collaboration with Dead Reckoning Collective will be coming out this summer. Um, so um, that one's already in the editing process and, and we're working on the cover with, um, I think we have a fantastic artist in, in Vader Girl. I uh, think you've spoken with in the past. She's She's awesome. I actually have uh, over here. I've got one of her uh, sketchings, and I've got a, like my my library in my office is kind of um, filled with her with her works. Um, she's she's terrific, but she's done the cover of a couple of books um, that I've worked on with Dead Reckoning, and um, she's just authentic. She's one of those artists who gives us cause to think and to feel simultaneously. I think. Yeah, she so. uh, she hits. She hits really hard. I told her that when she came on, I said, you know, I talked to her before. I said, it's, I don't know how to describe what you do, but what you do makes me feel things that no one else has ever made me feel. Yeah. She, she, I think she keeps going on this track and, and she'll be one of the, the remembered artists of our, of our uh, particular um, time and space generation um, for okay. certain. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm I'm so glad to have her as well. I'm so glad that she's involved with you and your projects that you're doing. Yeah. I think that's every chance I get. Every chance I get. Anytime, anytime I'm working, uh, you know, I've worked uh, on projects where they're like, "Hey, do you, if you want to have a artist come in, and who do you want to uh, illustrate this this poem or this, you know, for the, I'm like, she's the one. First time, uh, every time, first first answer. Um, she's she's an incredible person to work with, and she gets it. Um, so. Yeah, so Dead Reckoning Collective will be doing things hopefully into infinity um, together. They're awesome. Um, they are. And what they're doing for, uh, I think, for our community, for the veteran community, for literature in general um, is, it's inspiring. And I'm so fortunate, um, so fortunate and feel a tremendous amount of gratitude to work with those, those people um, on a regular basis. Um, and I, I hope to be able to continue that on through many, 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 many more books. Um, so yeah, that's, that's where you can kind of catch me, catch, catch those guys, catch those catch guys. Those guys. And, They'll find you. Yeah, they, they, they've got my WhatsApp. So. They've got the WhatsApp. I don't even have the WhatsApp. My God, I'm going to have like, to call them now. There's like 30 people who have my phone number in the world. That's, that's perfect. <laughs> that's the way it should be. Otherwise, Leo, I'm, uh, I'm grateful. We'll have you on again. We'll, we'll put everything in the bio here so everyone can find you when you've got your new books out. The current books you've got are fantastic. They're inc like incredibly well done. I do recommend um, starting with obviously, lest we forget, go give it the audio is a good the audio is entertaining. The guy that did it got really into it. I, I can appreciate it. It's a great listen. It's a great read. Um, but I'm grateful. I'm grateful for humans like you. So thank you so much for coming on, Leo. Otherwise, you stick with me. Everyone else, we will uh, see you all next week.